Have you ever tried to build something without the right tools? I, uh, a few years back, I was a youth pastor, same church, Grace Covenant Church, and we had another building that we had been using for youth space because uh, the main building was not big enough, and we didn't have enough space, and so they, they actually rented out this other space, and so we were building it out, doing a lot of neat things, and I got to go to Ikea and get the finest of uh, furniture for my office, and I remember being in my office, and I was very thankful for this, and, and putting together shelves, which was fine. It wasn't hard. It's not complicated. But all I had was a screwdriver and this very thin-looking wrench. Not your normal uh, adjustable wrench, but one you kind of got in a kit. So it's, it looks like it's cut out of sheet metal, very thin. And so I'm putting together this, this uh, shelf, and everything's going well. They've provided everything until we get to the setting nails. And if you don't know what a setting nail is, it's a nail right, that you, you, you hammer in, but it has no kind of flat surface. It's just a piece of metal. And you really need to have a, a, a good hammer or even better have a, a nail gun to, to put those in. But what I had was a wrench. And so I spent the next, what, like two hours just very carefully nailing my thumb to the shelf uh, because it was painful and difficult and hard. I did not have the right tools. And sometimes we go through life trying to figure out how do I do this thing right? How do I live this life right? How do I succeed as a husband or a wife? How do I succeed as a parent? How do I make it through as, as an employee, as a, as a business person, as, as a member of my community, as a citizen? How do I do this thing right? And we think to ourselves, I don't think I've got the right tools. I know that all the married people, they've never experienced that. They, they've got all the tools, all the coping mechanisms. Parents, you've got everything you need. Never get frustrated. Never feel like you're, you're without the right tool in place. Well, today I want to talk about how God has given us a great tool. Very simply, he's given us his word. And, and some of you, you've grown up in the church and you know this, but it bears repeating that God's word is the right tool for your life. So let's stand together. We're going to be reading out of 2 Timothy. If you have a paper Bible with you, go ahead and pull it out, um, or you can read from the, the, the screen. We're going to be reading 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the graciousness of you disclosing yourself to us, telling us who you are, showing us your character, your nature, your purposes, your desires, your designs in your word. God, I thank you that when Adam and Eve sinned, that you initiated a redemptive plan that involved showing yourself to your people. That you didn't just separate yourself and say, they're going to have to figure this out on their own, ultimately through their own demise. But God, you intervened. And you have been a God who speaks from the beginning. 
a God who intervenes from the beginning of creation, and a God who shows us who he is, even to the point of sending your son the word of God to show us the character and nature of God. Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our eyes, as the psalmist says, to behold wondrous things in your word. God, I pray that this would not be a rote exercise, but that we would worship you as we read your word, that we would worship you as we reflect on your word, and that we would worship you and respond in obedience as we read and understand and apply your word. Remove the barriers of fear, of, of insecurity about being able to read well. God, remove the barriers of, of distraction. Remove the barriers of excuse. And God, let 2023 be the year in which we engage the Bible at a different level. Speak through your word, your powerful word, your authoritative word, God. Minister to your people. Pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. It's a very simple text. It's one of those, those scriptures that would be worthwhile to memorize. Uh, real quickly, I want to go through some of the context to kind of give a, a, an, an understanding of the, the emphasis here. And then we're going to jump in and talk about how the scriptures have their origin and their usefulness and their purpose in God. But before we do that, I, I, this letter was written by Paul. It's Paul's last a canonical letter, he may have written other letters, but that's the last letter we believe that he wrote that ended up in the Bible, the last letter that carries the authority of being called the Word of God. And he's writing to his, his disciple, his son in the faith, a guy named Timothy, who's been pastoring this church in Ephesus, has been potentially experiencing challenges, there's been some false teachers, people who have been disrespecting him because of his youth. He's had all of these challenges that, that, Tim, that Paul is addressing in, in First and Second Timothy. But in the second letter, Paul is really laying out kind of his swan song. He knows that he's facing execution, likely he's imprisoned in Rome. If you read through the book of Acts, you find out that, that Paul goes through this process of, of going on various missionary journeys, but then he gets arrested and he appeals to Caesar. He wants a hearing before Caesar, and, and that sets him on his final journey to Rome. And we see in Acts that, that he ends up under house arrest in Rome and he ministers for a number of years there. But in 2 Timothy, he's writing pretty passionately to his son in the faith, making sure that all the, the foundational elements are in place, and making sure that, that Timothy understands this is how you need to accomplish this task as a pastor. And for us, the corollary is that if, if Timothy is to engage the Bible in this manner, then we're also to engage the Bible in this manner because Timothy and other pastors are intending to get us to engage the Bible in this manner. He talks about how we live in a time where people will walk away from God. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Does that sound like our time? He goes on, for among, theirs, among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with the sins, their sins, and led astray by various passions. 
Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. And he's talking about some of the false teachers. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And then he says that a time of difficulty, or he starts out that chapter saying a time of difficulty will come. And, and, and so if I was Timothy, I'd be asking the question, okay, what, what do we do? Right? You don't want to get a report from your elder, from your leader, if you're leading a church and, and the leader's saying, you know what, I just want to let you know things are going to get really hard. Right? You, want to, you want to be told, hey, things are going to be easy, you trust in God, read the Bible, everyone's going to get rich and they're going to tithe and they're going to be obedient to the faith. Right? Good things are going to happen. But he, no, he says, times of difficulty will come. So what are we to do? He answers in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse. But as for you, here's the answer, continue in what you've learned And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from a childhood you've been acquainted with what? The sacred writings. Timothy, don't forget that you have received the scriptures, that from a small child, your mother and your grandmother, they prayed for you, they taught you, they catechized you, they they, they trained you in the scriptures. They told you, this is what God's word says, this is how you're to live, son. Don't forget the, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that is the point at which we come to our text. He breaks off and he says, All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I want to talk about the origin of Scripture, the the usefulness of Scripture and the purpose of Scripture. And then I want to give a process for engaging Scripture this year. The first three are from the Bible, and the last one is my encouraging application, which you may take or leave because it is not directly from the Bible. So let's talk about the origin. He says this in verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Some of your Bibles may say is inspired by God or uh, God-breathed. The word there in the Greek is it's this uh, a neologism where you take two words and you put them together, right? Uh, theo for God and pneustos for uh, spirit, God breathed, theopneustos. That's not how you say it, but we'll just run with that. It's God breathed. And what that means is that scripture, the Bible, it comes from God. You know, I, I've got a lot of books, I'm sure you've got Kindles. Uh, You've got books at home. They're great books, some by wise men and women, some by not so wise men and women that carry various levels of authority. You might have gone to school and you've got a textbook from uh, some sort of professional who's kind of the authority on some subject matter, right? I remember reading, I have a background in IT, and I remember reading a book on C++ by Bjorn Strassup, the guy who wrote C++, and he was the authority and, and we read books like that, and they carry a level of authority, but they don't carry ultimate authority in our life. Now, the Word of God, 
If it finds its origin in God, then it carries the authority of God. It carries the power of God. And it carries the character of God. One implication is that since Scripture has its origin, it it carries these, these attributes of God. You and I can trust Scripture because it comes from a God who cannot lie. You know, I, I may write a book and, and may write something that's incorrect or it, it becomes out of date or, or it is mistaken. You, you've probably read articles that were wrong and they, had to, they have to write something else in, in its place and make a correction. The, the Word of God is trustworthy. It carries the character of God and God cannot lie. It carries the authority of God which means that you and I are responsible to obey what is written in Scripture as if God himself were speaking to us. I'll say that again because we live in a time that is very uh, lackadaisical, casual. And I mean, I, I breathe the same air. You and I are responsible, as responsible to obey what is in Scripture as if God himself we're speaking to us now. Sometimes we face challenge in our, in our life and we're like, God, what do I do in this situation? You know, what do I do with this, this person who's, who, who's offended me and been unkind to me and done difficult things for me? And, and we're like, God, I wish you would just speak to me. And God is saying, I have. Saying, forgive as I've forgiven. Love. Love is patient. It's kind. It's, it does not boast. It does not envy. It is not easily irritated. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. God has says, I have spoken. It carries the authority and character of God. It also carries the power of God. You and I can trust the promises of Scripture as if God were speaking them now. The, the amazing thing about the name, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the, the amazing thing about the name Yahweh, the name the Lord, is that it means that God is who he is, but that's not just some sort of theoretical uh, uh, concept for us to just pontificate upon. It means that when he was faithful before, he will be faithful now, and he will be faithful in the future. When he says, I will be for you, it means that he's for you today, and he will be for you in the future. This morning, I read out of uh, Psalms in my reading plan, which we're going to talk about, Psalm 125, and it says this, it's real short, I'll read it to you. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. If God surrounded his people in David's time, he's going to surround his people today. Do you need God's protection and care? You can trust God. You can trust the power of his promises because God doesn't change, and God's word carries the authority, the character, and the power of God. You know, my kids like to collect coins, um, some for money and some for the sake of collection. Uh, and and they, have, they have some some pretty impressive ones that they've been given that find themselves, the, the, the coins that are in these like plastic sleeves and they're sealed and they're real fancy and very shiny. And, uh, but they also come with a certificate of authority or authenticity rather. Um, saying this is a mint coin from this time, and it really is, and it's totally awesome, and there's a stamp of approval. Um, the, the certificate of authenticity confirms the, the origin, the authority, and the value of the coin. And because the Bible carries uh, God's certificate of authenticity, we can trust its character and authority and power. 
Another, another implication of this being God's word, of its being, um, of the word of God being found from, coming from God is that, that it's God's embodiment of grace and mercy. It, it's mercy that God chose to speak. Have you ever considered that? I mean, I don't know how many Bibles I have in my, my office. Too many. You know, we, we encourage our kids to read the Bible, and sometimes they put theirs in a place, and they're like, can I just go get one of yours? And yeah, so they, so they grab. We have a plethora of Bibles. They're, they're read throughout the world. They're printed and, and sold. But I don't know that we appreciate often the fact that God chose to speak. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. In the same way that if I were to create, if I were to make from clay a pot, that pot doesn't have any rights. There's no conversation that that pot will have with me that says, you know, you really should paint me blue and, 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 and put me in a kiln and make me look nice and use me for this purpose. There's nothing that obligates me to do anything because I am the creator of that clay. I'm the creator of that, that, that piece of pottery. And God is our creator. There's nothing that he owes us, and yet he chooses to speak, not once, not twice, but over thousands of years, constantly, continuously, faithfully expressing his love. It's in his mercy that he gives us his word. You know, in, in Exodus, we, we hear the story of the Israelites who are in slavery. God hears their cries and he sends Moses to, to free them. And as he frees them, they go to Mount Sinai and, and they get what's called the Ten Commandments, right? You guys know about that. Um, Charlton Heston. Clearly Moses was white. Anyways. And spoke with uh, an eff- Anyways. It's fine. And we think of the Ten Commandments as this kind of lofty set of rules that we have to live by. You know, a standard by, and, and they are. But listen to how it starts. It says in, in Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all the words, saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I am the one who was and is and will be. I, I am the Lord, the covenant God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. His word starts with a remembrance of his mercy. God's word starts with a remembrance of his mercy. Is that good? Can I, can I hear an amen to that? Amen. There we go. We often think that this is a list of rules. He goes on and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because I'm a God who has spoken to you. This is not out of nowhere. This is not a vacuum. God is speaking and he's saying, I've loved you. Don't go to those false gods. They don't love you. This isn't, this isn't uh, commands from an angry, mean selfish, vindictive God. This is, this is the love message from a God who has said, I've done what I can to bring you out of slavery. I've spoken to you. Sometimes we don't get into the word because we don't appreciate that God has spoken to us. We're like, oh, it's a Bible. Okay, well, I guess I should read. Pastor Eddie told me I should. No, God is saying, I love you. Come and be with me. Hear the words that I have to say to you. Because scripture finds its origin in God, we can safely 
receive the character and nature and authority and power of God in it. It's, it's grace that God speaks to us. And that same grace that he spoke to the Israelites is the grace that he speaks to us through the word. Now, because scripture finds its origin of God, we can also assume that it's useful. It's, it's almost an understatement that Paul makes, right? He, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Like imagine him saying this, all scripture is penned by the hand of God. And you're given that and if you were given that scroll, what would you do with it? You'd read that scroll. If you saw a hand begin to, to dictate the word of God, and you understood that to be the hand of God writing the word of God, and then it was handed to you, you would respond and say, this has got to be useful for something. Amen? It's useful. He doesn't use the word therefore, but, but you can kind of hear it. You know, all scripture is breathed out by God and therefore useful for what? He says for four things, for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is likely not an exhaustive list. I mean, if we were to take some time, we could think of other ways that scripture is useful, but it's a helpful list. He's, he's giving us four facets of its usefulness. First of all, teaching. The Bible clearly teaches all that we're to believe about God, ourselves, and the world around us. Sometimes we don't engage the Bible because we don't think it's super useful about a whole lot. Like, I guess it tells maybe interesting and strange stories about the past and maybe a couple things about how, you know, I need to be kind to my spouse. But what does it have to say about my business? What does it have to say about science? What does it have to say about the universe? Well, actually quite a bit. It's useful. Right? And, and, and the thing about the things that the Bible teaches, we all are learning those things one way or another. The Bible teaches about humanity, and so does the culture. There, there's a huge cultural war right now about anthropology, human understanding of, of who we are, male, female, how we relate to one another. All of that is informed by the Bible. The Bible speaks to those things. God has spoken to those things. He has created us, and therefore he speaks to us about us. Economy. How are we to take our wealth and use it? We live in a society, and I'm thankful to be in a society where you can, you can start a business, you can do things. But the Bible has things to say about that. It has things to say about what you do with money when you, when you become wealthy. How you are to be generous and kind and how that ought to flow out of a life of, of thankfulness. The Bible has things to say about life and where to receive it. In Psalm 119, uh, which you, if you want to know, you know if the Bible is worthwhile, just read Psalm 119. But Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? No matter your path, no matter your, your way, your situation, the Bible has something to, to illuminate in that path. It has something to show you about how you are to live, how you are to change, what you are to do. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through um, 25, James is talking about doing the word of God. And he says this, but be doers of the word, 
And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets who he was like, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, he makes the shift from the mirror to the law. The law of liberty perseveres, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. He says, if you look into the word like you were to go to the bathroom and look into the mirror, what do you see in the mirror? You see yourself. You see your blemishes. You see, you know, maybe you have one of those, you know, times one, times ten thing, and you're like, you see yourself, and you're like, oh my goodness, the craters of Mars, right? I don't know, I don't know what I see, but I don't like it. Let's turn it around. The word of God does that. It, it uncovers us. It shows us what's going on. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus tells his disciples, go make disciples. Go into all the world and making disciples, baptizing them, and what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. How are we to teach unless we know what God has commanded? The Bible's good for teaching. It's good for reproof. Reproof and correction different commentators pair these things up in different ways. I'm going to pair reproof and correction. Reproof is don't go that way. Correction is go this way instead. Right? If you've ever seen a toddler in a room, maybe you've taken them to a friend's house, that friend doesn't have any children, therefore all the outlets are uncovered. You know, they don't have the fancy, like, four-step unlocking system for their... their and, and for whatever reason, it's, it's like... It's like me and candy. Like, they find it so quick. They find that outlet. And, and reproof is saying, nope, don't go that way. Correction is, what's this over here? Come this way. The Bible will reprove us and it will correct us. The Word of God tells us no when we go the wrong way. Sometimes that can be offensive in our world because we live in a society where... Um, Doing anything but affirming people is counted as wrong. But do you know that it's okay to affirm a person and say no to their behavior? To affirm the value of a human being while at the same time saying what you're doing is not okay. God, God speaks to us. And, and parents, this is, this is our responsibility, right? And this is really hard because sometimes you're like, I know in my head that you're a person that is worth value and lovable, but I really don't like what you're doing, and I'm, trying, I'm having trouble parsing the two things. But the Word of God will reprove us, and that is not, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will condemn us if we're in Christ. It does condemn our sin. And if we want to hold on to our sin, then it will condemn our sin with us. But if we will embrace Christ instead, it condemns the sin in us. The, the Ten Commandments are a prime example of how God's word reproves us. Don't go this way. Don't worship idols. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't envy. Don't steal. Don't do these things. And then correction, go this way instead. If reproof tells us not where to, where not to go, correction tells us where to go instead. It's the positive side, as I said. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but, right, that's all reproof. Don't do this. But 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's correction. How do I need to, what do I need to, be, need to be meditating on? Probably not as much sports as you are. Probably not as much, I don't know, ladies, what is it, Magnolia? Uh, I'm just throwing it out there. I should, whatever it is, it used to be Pinterest, I don't think that's a thing anymore as much. What is it for me? Writings about the Bible instead of the Bible. Um, entertainment. Anyways, blessed is the man who, instead of those things, meditates on the Word of God. Meditates on the Word of God. That is, that's correction. To, it's to be embraced. If you've ever been coached, it's a good thing to be corrected because God's trying to get you right. He's not just trying to ruin your life. He's trying to say, this is going to produce something in you. And if you read Psalm 1, it goes on to say, that, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water. His, his leaves don't wither, right? He's going to be successful. He's going to produce fruit. She's going to be successful. She's going to produce fruit. Do you want that in your life? You don't get that by meditating on other things. You don't get that by ignoring the nose and ignoring the correction. You get that by embracing God's rebuke and correction. And he goes on. And he says, it's worthwhile for training in righteousness. We're going to speed things up so we can get through this. Scripture is the source of what behaviors and habits we ought to pursue in our lives. Scripture is the source for what behaviors and habits we are to have in our lives. In, in Colossians, we went through that last year. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 and following, it says this. Put on there as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Live this way. Do these things. Behave in this manner. So much of the Gospels are, are seeing who Jesus is and what he teaches, but also how he lives. In Mark, it talks about how he rose up early in the morning and went to a desolate place to, to get into the Word and pray. What does that tell us? If the God of the universe has to go and pray in the mornings, maybe you and I should get up and pray in the mornings. Maybe you and I should read the Bible in the morning. And I'm there, I'm there right there with you. Some mornings you're like, no, my bed is much too warm. My eyes are much too heavy. <laughs> but God invites us to be trained in righteousness. Paul talks about it in, in uh, first. First Timothy about being trained in godliness. That that uh, it's, it's good, or maybe it's First John. Anyways, it's in the Bible. I promise. Um, it's good to be trained in physical fitness. It has some value, but being trained in godliness has eternal value. You're not going to waste any time. So we feel like this. We're going to. Oh, I get it through Ezekiel. It's a waste of time, and I'm going to do it. It's not a waste of time. When you die, which you will, you're not going to take any of your certifications with you. Jesus will not be impressed that you're a CPA or a CCNA or a Microsoft engineer or, you know, a corporal. I'm just, again, just all across. He's not going to care. He won't care about how many follows you have. How many, how many, none of it. You know what you will carry though? Scripture. Scripture is eternal and people are eternal. Do you realize that? Scripture and people are, I was going to do this and I didn't, but it's worth just, 
just as a side note, this isn't my notes. When I was a youth pastor, I heard this, this analogy. I wish I had a bag of dirt. And I'd have a bag of dirt, and I would put it right here on this pedestal that's not here. But just pretend there's a pedestal and a bag of dirt. And, you, and throughout the sermon, you're like, why has he got that bag of dirt over there? What's, what's in that bag of dirt? And I'd lift it up and say, what's the difference between you and this bag of dirt? It's an offensive question. It's a good question, though. What's the difference between you and this bag of dirt? Anyone have an answer? The breath of God. God formed Adam out of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils. We carry the breath of God. You know what else carries the breath of God? His word. You and I, we have a, a, an organic relationship to this word. We're both animated by the breath of God. It's for training in righteousness. So, if we believe that God's word is from God and that it's useful, what is it useful for? Timothy needed to know that he'd be equipped to be a godly pastor, and Paul wanted him to know beyond a shadow of doubt that God had prepared a way for him to fulfill his calling and his good works. Timothy would be equipped through the teaching, rebuke, correction, and training of the word of God. And like Timothy, you and I are both created for good works and in need of an equipping. Ephesians 2.10 says that um, we, were, we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. In other words, God made a plan for your life, and he said, you know, uh, uh, Sally, you're going to be doing this. You're going to live this life. I'm going to prepare these things, these people you're going to bless, these, these accomplishments you're going to do. You're going to contribute to my plan and purpose in creation in these ways. And he planned those things before you were even born. And so now you get to just kind of step into what God has planned and prepared. But how are you going to be ready for it? What tools are you going to have on your tool belt? You're going to have the word of God. Where do we get equipped for all this? We don't need to go to Wikipedia to figure out how to live your life. You don't need to read a self-help book from someone who, who was featured on Oprah. You don't need to read that, that book that was put out by that social media guru or, or just follow their, their, their TikTok and, and just kind of, how do they do it? And let that be the thing, the primary thing that informs your life. And I'm not, I'm not you know, if someone tells you how to paint better and what, what brand of paint to use, fine. If they've got some sort of organizing tip, great. But about who you are and what you are made to accomplish and what you ought to value in life and what priorities you ought to have, you need to go to the Word of God. That's the purpose. We are made competent. And equipped for good works when we read and apply God's word to our life. The, the, the words there, if you read one version, it says uh, thoroughly equipped because you have competent, which is one word. And then you have equipped, which is, it's a cognate. It's, it's a related word. And so he, he's almost kind of repeating himself so that you can be competent, super competent to do good works. You were created, family, to do good things, to accomplish amazing things. In 2023, God is going to use you to do things. We're going to impact Sterling. We're going to impact Ashburn. We're going to impact Reston and Herndon. You're going to impact people at your corporate job. You're going to see people saved. 
You're going to see lives change. You're going to see marriages brought back together. You're going to see prodigals come back. How are we going to accomplish this but by the word of God? You're going to be made competent by searching these scriptures, by memorizing these scriptures, by loving this word, by valuing it. Get that Bible off the shelf. Read it. So how do we engage with scripture? There are a lot of ways. There are so many ways. I'm going to give you just a a simple five-step thing. I want you to read your Bibles every day. Surprise, surprise. I want you to read your Bibles every day. I've got six simple steps. Step one, get your journal. If you don't have a journal, where do you write important things, important documents? Make a commitment to God that you will do, that you will read the Bible. Now, the Bible talks about not making vows, not, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The point of that is to say, have integrity with the commitments that you've made. So count the cost, but understand that the Bible calls you, God calls you, Jesus calls you to read the Bible every day. I didn't go through those texts. We could do them if you want me to. I could go, I've got a lot of them. But you should read the Bible every day. Um, so commit. Write it down in your journal. I commit to reading the Bible every day. I commit to reading for, for the next three months, right? Make it a smart goal. We all know what that is if you don't Google it. Over the next three months, I'm going to read one verse at this time every day. I'm going to read one chapter at this time every day. And I'm going to reevaluate in three, three months and see if I can up it. So pick, uh, commit to reading it daily. That's step one. Step two, get a good paper Bible. You can read... Uh, your technology is not the devil. I'm literally preaching off an iPad. It's fine. However, I will tell you that I'm, there have been times during service where people have texted me, and it has been distracting. Um, and you can get texts and notifications while you read your Bible that can be very distracting. And you can kind of be on guard for those things and like, oh, do I have a, you know, do I have a new email? If you just kind of close the thing and you have this, you just, it helps. It helps me. So get a Bible. I would even say to you, because you're all successful, hardworking, lovely people, get a fancy Bible. And that, this sounds kind of, I know. You don't have to do that. You can get a paper, just get whatever. But there's something about getting a nice something that you want to kind of touch it and smell it. They're like, this is leather. I think it's goat. I don't know. Highland goats. It's Highland goat skin. Like, I've even got the address of where this cover comes from, the Highlands of Scotland. It's a nice Bible, and it was a gift. I didn't buy it, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a nice Bible to read. Get one that's got a nice layout. Get something that you'll, you'll enjoy opening, you'll enjoy looking at. Um, ESV, CSB, the English Standard Version, the, the Christian Standard Version, the New King James Version, the NIV, these are all good translations. Um, they all are basically trying to take the, the original languages and, and as much as they can stick to the, the shape and the form of the original language. There's another version called the NLT, the New Living Translation, which is a great version for reading. It sometimes strays or it kind of um, it becomes commentary-esque in, in, in the way it, it, tra- it, it translates. In other words, sometimes you lose some of the technical things that you would see in a, in a more literal translation, but it's much easier to read. Read that. 
If, if you don't like reading, if you struggle to read, and, and if, you're, if English is your second language, and please hear this as, as helpful, that there's no shame. I'm, if you speak two languages, you speak more than me. So um, you either get one in, in your heart language, or if you're in reading English, there's one called the New International Reader's Version, which breaks up the Bible, um, the words of the Bible, into smaller sentences. It uses simpler sentences. Still the Word of God. And that's also good for children if, if they're learning to read. Again, no shame in that. Get into the Word. I'd much rather you be reading the Word than not. Step one, commit. Step two, get a good paper Bible. Step three, get a Bible reading plan. We have Bible reading plans at the, the table right here, right outside the door. But there's two that I want to encourage you to consider. One's called the 5 by 5 by 5 I've talked about it a lot, but we'll talk about it some more. It's supposed to take about five minutes to read um, five days a week, and then it's got a list of five other ways you can kind of dig deeper. Five minutes a day, five days a week. If you can't do that, I love you, but you're lying. <laughs> you don't want to do it at that point. You don't want to do it. And at that point, let's, let's, let's wrestle with the why you don't want to. Five by five by five, it'll take you through the New Testament. If you want, you can pepper in Psalms and Proverbs as you please. If, another one, if you just don't know where to start, and you're like, ah, this is all too much, Proverbs has 31 chapters, read a chapter a day. What's the date? It's the 8th. I'm in Proverbs 8 today, right? Get into the word. So that's, those are two small ones. Another one's called, it's the navigator. They're all from navigators. The, this is the one, the five by five by five. And the, the other one, it's called the navigators. It used to be called the discipleship journey, but it'll give you four different readings from the old Testament and the new Testament, two and two, not like four, eight total. It'll give you four different readings. So it's not boring. So if you're reading through Leviticus and you're like, this is really hard, Pastor Eddie, I know it's the word of God, but uh, it'll also give you Matthew. And you're like, okay, Matthew, narrative, this is helpful. And you can read that, and that will take you through the entire Bible in a year. So step one, commit daily. Step two, get a pa good paper Bible. Step three, get a Bible reading plan. Step time, step time. Step four, get a time. What time are you going to do this? This is not a, I'll do it sometime. Sometime is no time. I'll do it right after I, I get out of bed. I'll do it right after I brush my teeth. I'll do it right after I put my fork down from lunch. I'll do it right after I get in bed. Right? Tie it to something you do every day. Um, tie it to, to reading your Bible. Tie it to whatever, but do it. Pick a time. Uh, and then five, get a place. Choose where you'll read. And then clean it up. Again, try to make this a pleasant experience for yourself. You know, it, maybe your whole life is a mess and your whole world is a mess. Take a two-by-two two square foot space and just make it nice. Just, just get, get one of those, those uh, science experiment presentation, uh, you know, where you're like, this is the orbits of the sun and panel one, panel two, panel three. Get that. Just nothing else exists. You put that on your desk. Just clear that little area off and read. Do whatever it takes. Trick yourself. I don't care. Read it outside. You can't do that now. You can. You're a maniac. Um, it's cold. But, but do it wherever. But pick a place. Have a plan. And, and I say this as a person who is, you've, I've skipped on some of these things and, and I, don't, I don't end up doing it. These will be ways to, to help you. And then, then step six, get reading. If you miss a day, I'm coming after you. I'm just kidding. Don't worry about it. If you miss a day, you don't have to tell anyone. Just go to the next day. 
The, the, that reading will be there next year. If you have time, then go back. But don't do this thing. Where, you know, it, it's it's almost like like dieting or exercise, right? You you start on the new year. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lift weights, and then you miss that, and you're like, well, I gotta lift twice as many weights. No, you can't do that, right? You can do that once, and then you won't do any of it, right? And the same is true of, of reading the Bible. If you if you want to read the Bible, and you're like, you miss five days, and you're doing a verse a, day, a chapter a day. Now you're like five. That's basically a book. I'm not doing that. Just just cut it, cut your losses, and keep moving. Um, when you're reading, have some good questions in mind to help you get some helpful nuggets. What does this say about God? What does this say about sin? What does this say about salvation? What does this say about me? Right? Um, Psalm 125. I did this today. Again, I was, I was reading out of Psalm. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion who cannot be moved but abides forever. What does this say about me? Well, if I trust in the Lord, I'm going to be solid. I'm going to be... I'm going to be settled. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in place. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the, the Lord surrounds his people. What does it say about God? God surrounds his people. He protects his people. He guards his people. Right? This, all of a sudden, this text that was old and dusty is becoming helpful to me. And I'm walking through my day. I'm saying, you know what? I understand I'm going to have a difficult conversation with a coworker, but God, you're going to protect me. You're going to stand with me. I'm secure. Even if I have to admit that I'm wrong, I have to humble myself, I can stand secure on your love. I know that you are with me. Amen? As you read, respond by praying to God. God, I thank you, thank you that, that you surround me like the mountains surround Jerusalem. Thank you that, that I have protection and care and security in you. God, I thank you for that. Respond. Sometimes your response, God, I, con- I confess my sin. I confess that I have walked in the wrong way, and I repent. God, I see that, that, that I need to love this person in this way. Help me to love them well. Lord, forgive that person. Help me to walk in forgiveness. Respond by prayer. And as you read and get things out of it, share it with people in your small groups. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group uh, with friends and, and family. If you're a spouse, just, hey, this is what I read this morning. You know, if it was encouraging, write on a card, give it to your spouse. You know, you get extra credit for, for having written a, a nice little love note to your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, then, then write it and, and encourage someone you know. Maybe, maybe hold it in your mind because maybe you go to lunch and there's a waiter and, and you, how's your day going? Really terribly. Oh, you know what? I read this in my Bible today. Maybe this is an encouragement to you. Read the Bible with an expectation that God is going to give you good works to perform. As we're, as we're closing up, I want to share the words of, of two guys. One guy's uh, a pastor named J.C. Ryle from the 19th century, and the other one is the Apostle John. Um, J.C. Ryle writes regarding Bible reading this. Next to praying, there's nothing so important in practical religion as Bible reading. God has mercifully given us a book which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus he quotes 2 Timothy 3.15. By reading that book, we may learn what to believe, what to be, what to do, how to live with comfort, and how to die with peace. Happy is the man who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and practice. Now, what do I do? What do I do if this is just too hard? I've just... You know, I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed. He goes on. For those of us who are still saying, how should I do this? Listen to his frank words. For one thing, 
Begin reading your Bible this very day. The way to do a thing is to do it. And the way to read the Bible is to actually read it. It is not meaning or wishing or resolving or intending or thinking about it which will advance you one step. You must positively read it. If you cannot read it yourself, you must persuade somebody else to read it to you. But one way or another, through eyes or ears, the words of Scripture must be actually passing through your mind. Read the Bible. If you tune me out right now and start reading the Bible, I will not be offended. Now, if you check the scores, I will. But... And finally, listen to the words of John, the apostle. This is out of his book, the the Gospel of John. And he says this in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Today, believe in Jesus Christ and read his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, I'm, I, am, I am indebted to you once again by your word. I am indebted by your son who has died for those of us who should have died, paying for our death or paying for our sin in our place, and I'm indebted because of the life that you now give me. And I'm also indebted because of the gracious words which you've entrusted to your people. God, I thank you for the mercy and the grace that is your word. And God, I pray that that every person in this room would engage with your word, would read it, would, would listen to it, would do the hard work of just opening their eyes and ears to hear what you have to say. And Lord, I pray that there would be interest paid, that there would be deposits made, that there would be grace that flows and power that flows and authority that flows. God, that there'd be new confidence and new boldness, Lord, in our prayers. New assurances that, that, God, you're moving, that you are for us, that you are changing us and transforming us, that you're making us more holy, that you're making us more happy in you. God, I pray that, that you would transform us by your word today and this year. As Spurgeon said, God, I pray that we would be a people who, when you cut us, we bleed Bible. Let the words of, of, of your scriptures dwell in us. Lord, I pray this over my people, over this people, the words of Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from our mouths, but we will meditate on it day and night so that we may be careful to do all that is according to it and written in it. For then we will, be, we will be prosperous and we will have good success. We will walk in the good works that you've made for us, God. We will accomplish the purposes for which we were made. We will glorify your name and we will find our joy in you. God, we worship you in this word. We worship you as we read and we worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, family.